our latest making session, we moved the show to London and discussed the topic of authenticity in media. London has been an inspiration to the team for some time. The city has been an important driver of globally relevant subcultures with a keen understanding of the world of media. This relationship has always been a delicate balance that they seem to understand. What spawned this topic was an examination of how brands and media outlets are increasingly interconnected. And with brand participation comes an examination of authenticity. What influence will brands play in a media outlet's ability to authentically communicate their thoughts and ideas? Or simply, will most brands that succeed understand how to gain traction before opening the doors to brand participation? They included Ari Stein of 52 Insights, a publication focused on interviewing scientists, artists, futurists, and celebrities shaping the world. Tom Brandhurst of Copa90, a popular football slash TV platform. And Iona Golder of Kyra TV, a video-centric platform that focuses on youth culture through travel, food, and fashion. A big thanks to Macon member Tom Kirkby of Breaks, who secured an amazing venue in Soho House Dean Street. Breaks for those unfamiliar is a creative house focused on innovative campaigns, social first content, events, and experiences with forward-thinking clients. Overall, the cozy space paired with some solid panelists made for an interesting discussion and a memorable evening we won't soon forget. As always, it was great to put a name to a face within the Megan community as we look to do more and more Megan sessions around the world. Before we get started, I wanted to obviously highlight our panelists who were gracious enough to provide some time out of their busy schedules. Maybe we start with Ari, or maybe even then, we have Ari, Iona, and Tom. But we can start with Ari. Maybe you can give us a little bit of insight into what you do, your background. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me as well. Um, so my name's Ari Stein. I'm the founding editor of an online magazine only um, called 52 Insights. Uh, I started this kind of idea about three years ago. Um, started in a garage in, uh, in Hackney. And the idea behind it was to kind of build this website where we interview uh, one significant person a week and we profile their body of work. People always say, you know, what is 52 Insights? Some kind of automatically get it, but obviously it makes sense one a week. Um, Primary, like our primary kind of goal was to explore the divide between popular culture and science because my idea was, is that like I was a fan of all the style, fashion, entertainment kind of channels and I was equally as fascinated by the science, tech, philosophy, uh, academia channels and I just thought, is there such a way that we could combine them all and bring all these people together? So. I'm quite proud of, of kind of what I've built. Um, being a very, very small independent media company takes a lot of balls and a lot of grit and more than blood, sweat and tears. I wish there was a fourth one because it's just incredible how much work you have to put into it. So, you know, some of the people we interview, like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and Usain Bolt and Yuval Noah Harari, just to kind of give you an idea. And we also have an event agency attached to that where we kind of create kind of intellectually stimulating content for brands because we're in an age where every industry is being disrupted and they all want to know the answers to the world, but no one has them. So we're trying to kind of ask those questions by bringing in a fascinating confluence of people from around the world um, to kind of provide those in provocative settings. Sorry. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much. Iona? Hi. Um, I'm Iona Gulda. I'm one of the uh, creatives and directors at Kyra TV. Um, we're a youth-focused TV network, kind of like MTV for Gen Z. Um, we've got three shows. Uh, one is a fashion-focused show, um, one is cooking, and one is travel and adventure. Um, short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, perfect, thanks. Tom? Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, I'm Tom. I'm the editor or director of Copper 90. Copper 90 is a football media business. Uh, that predominantly focuses on our um, online football publisher. So we create content for football fans, predominantly or originally around YouTube, across all other digital spaces as well now. Uh, anything from uh, more youth-orientated interview content to longer-form documentaries that go into more sort of mature, serious topics and sort of anything in between that satisfies a football audience. Okay. So I'm going to start things off super simple. 
What role does brand play within media currently in your guys' respective businesses? Maybe we'll start with you, Tom. Um, so yeah, of course, uh, making lots of wonderful content is expensive and requires someone to pay for it. And uh, one of the obvious ways of having that money come in is through branded content. I think Copper90, I say about three or four years ago, started dabbling with branded content with the first deals that we've made. Um, people like HTC, Nissan that wanted to do a series or a, a, a few films that would be would really resonate with a young football fan audience and they could just badge in a really simple brought to you by Nissan, brought to you by HTC sort of way. Since then we've developed partnerships that have really sort of spiralled into bigger things and now we have partnerships with Adidas, um, with Pepsi, with various other brands. Um, we're doing some work with Uber at the moment as well. They're all sort of, they range from as simple as a badging exercise and just putting their, their logo at the front of a video to really bespoke content, which takes into account their brief, their objectives, and tries to hit that. Yeah, what about you, Iona? Um, so similarly um, to Copper90, Kyra uh, works with brands. Um, like, often, like, integration's a big part of what we do, and kind of being super transparent and upfront with how we work with brands and how we integrate them into our content is a big part of, like, our offering, both to our audience and to the brands we partner with. Um, so, sort of, whether it's, um, like Adidas and how we build them into like an episode we do, or um, HP, the, a travel printer we work with across three episodes on our travel show. It's like a really kind of integrated um, offering in that sense. Yeah. What about you, Ari? Um, so I'm going to be quite transparent here. I, I feel like I'm the odd one out on the panel, to be totally honest with you. Um, I, I think that the dynamic between the brand and the content world is continually evolving. And I personally feel like brands are more willing to work with that uh, certain sector of age groups. They feel a little bit more comfortable that it's going to kind of permeate into their audience because they think that they're going to buy what's put in front of them. I mean, it's the same for everyone, but they just think it's easier, they're easy, more easily distracted for young people. So I'm not saying that our brand is is different, but we do cater to a little bit more of a mature audience, 18 to 35 and up as well. To date, we haven't worked that much with brands. We've worked in little bits and pieces, but I still feel like our kind of our um, design or our principle of what we're trying to do is still in stealth mode. So, yeah. Yeah, my, my question to that would be, and this sort of rolls back into authenticity, is that, you know, I've had the chance to interact with Ari a few times the last few days and he definitely has a really strong point of view and that sort of makes me wonder how does what you want to say and your point of view, how do you anticipate that interacting with brands down the line? Should you pursue that route more heavily? You asking me? Yeah. So, yeah. so sorry, I get caught up in the thing. Yeah. What, what was the question again? So, so more along the lines like... Thinking about my answer. Yeah, so more along the lines of you, you yourself have a very strong opinion, yeah. strong point of view. Yeah. Should you pursue more branded partnership opportunities? Do you worry uh, that you're going to be stifled? No, not at all. I any brands that want to meet me after, I'm happy to talk to them. Like, I guess more like your editorial lens and how you. No, how you I mean, say. it's an evolving discussion. I mean, I I honestly feel like I started with the canvas first, meaning like I was an artist first. So it was like, what would happen if we interviewed the world's most famous people? And I didn't really think about the product-orientated vertical inside the magazine. So it went through many iterations over the years. And I would be, I think of the magazine more as a lifestyle. So building a hotel under the, the name 52 Insights or a car, whatever it is, I'd be happy to, to work with the brand. As long as the brand doesn't, you know, totally destroy what we're about. Finding the right brand, that, that won't change anyway, because if you're working with them and they want to work with you, they'll understand what your brand is about. So, yeah. What about you, Iona? When it comes to having a point of view and knowing that you know, you're working heavily with brands and they are maybe subtly influencing what you can and cannot say, like how does that influence the creative side of it all? Wait, can you just, what's specifically the question? Yeah, when it comes to like having a brand involved in the content creation or being involved in some way, how does that potentially influence the output? Yeah, I think brands um, inevitably have messages that they're trying to communicate with their audiences. And I guess um, to the point about how someone like Ari works and how that might differ from Kyra or Copper90, like 
it's, you know, their audience, there are numbers and they're kind of audience focused. And I suppose it kind of comes back. Yeah, it kind of comes back to that. There's a, an access to an audience um, that they think that their message will resonate with. And um, yeah, it's a balance. Yeah. And for you at Copa90, have you found that you, what you were able to create is actually bolstered by the fact that Brad is behind it versus if you were just to go rogue and do an editorial project? I think it, it, it works both ways. So as an example, we made a film last year um, about uh, Calcio Storico, which is a quite niche event that happens in Florence in Italy. Uh, it's essentially a medieval sport where people, it's, it's meant to be like football, but people can fight each other as well. And it's quite, Vice has done a documentary as well. We did one as well. But the reason we made it and we could actually make it was because Lecoq Sportif uh, make the Fiorentina football kit. They wanted to activate the latest kit, which had four different versions for four different um, sort of boroughs of the city. And they said, look, we'll fund you to go there, make it. And as long as you just sort of like mention us in it and it has the product in it. And obviously the product was fine because it was part of what people were wearing and the football fans, it was very natural integration. So we got to make that and that was, that was great. And that film's been perfect. Like we really, um, proud of what we made there. And the other, other end of the spectrum is, of course, um, just being very careful about how you talk about things in, in uh, acknowledgement of a brand and making sure that you aren't pissing off certain people. And I think what you're getting at there in terms of um, it perhaps stifling creativity, I, I think it's inevitable that it's going to be, you're not going to get away with uh, doing a large campaign with a big player like Paul Pogba and then making a film about how shit Paul Pogba is the next day. You know, even just from a very simple, the player's going to be pissed off perspective it does it does sort of uh, affect you in that way so i think there are there are, i wouldn't say eggshells but there are considerations that we had when you when you're having brand partnerships and um yeah so when it comes to those brand partnerships what do you think makes for an ideal client like maybe starting with you ari um i mean we have the ideal brand in mind that we'd like to work with uh people always say to us again like i don't want to sound like a broken record we've worked with a number of brands like nike design hotels tempor and stuff but in terms of like creating a brand project i would like to have similar principles so sophistication um you know a, a similar outlook on life so you know brands um, that share a similar lifestyle to us. But again, I don't have a huge repository of projects and brands that I've worked with yet in order to kind of understand that ecosystem very well. Um, Do you think yeah. you turn down people then if they didn't share the values that you share? Fuck no. <laughs> as I'm saying, like, I'd love to work with brands. I'm just gonna be honest, like, you know, as I said, like, I think brands have very different discussions with different channels. So, the, you know, we worked with Nike a bunch of times, um, but that was purely editorial. Um, probably not supposed to be saying this, but, um, and it wasn't like, um, you know, a financial kind of operation. So it was purely editorial. So we were, and they really like our sophistication style and element stuff. So they, so they enjoy that and they reach out to a particular audience that they can't, perhaps that you can, that we can't and vice versa. So, yeah. I suppose it's like, it kind of always comes back a bit with like, editorial and brand partnerships, you kind of, you get to establish yourself or your tone of voice or your like aesthetic, whatever it is in your editorial. And you hope that brands come to you because of that, because of the precedent you set with your editorial work. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, like chicken and egg, I suppose. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to do a quick poll for you guys in the audience right now. How many of you guys have an issue when you see an ad from like an editorial ad, not saying like an in-feed ad, but like, oh, this is an, this is a campaign sponsored by Brand XYZ. Very, so very few people have an issue. And do you think that this is the new norm? And like, maybe this is a follow-up question too. Is like, do you think that, you know, 10 years ago, people would have an issue with an ad being placed in their stream? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe it's too confusing. <laughs> is it, is it yeah. that it's sponsored by somebody or just in general an ad? I, I guess in general, the fact that it's an ad that a publisher is doing. Yeah. Because I think that one thing that I find interesting is that for me, and I'm, this is dating myself, I'm like 34, 33, 34. So looking back 10 years ago, like I used to hate it when people were like hard selling me. And now I think there's a new normalization that exists within that. And we all become so accustomed to being sold to. So my question is, do you think that 
the current generation, some of you guys deal more with that quote unquote Gen Z millennial demographic. Do you think they have um, a general openness towards brands? Maybe start with you, Iona. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say that like massively there's, there's a shift even between somebody in their like late 20s to someone who's 17. I think there's like an adoption um, from like say Gen Z. Um, Do you want to maybe define Gen Z in terms of like age bracket? I think it's like, it seems to be like often debated, but like Gen Z up to age 20 and millennial 20 to 35. Can I just say one really small thing here? Yeah. I think part of the issue is, and feel free to jump and, and you know, beat me up, but part of the problem of this whole brand ecosystem communication is, is they obsess about different demographics. So the Gen Z, Gen Y, Gen Q, Gen R, I don't know, make up whatever you want. And it constantly becomes these things like, how new, how young, how can we get to them? Obviously, it's, it's like not super pivotal to me. I do agree. But, yeah. I do agree yeah. that there's it's like an obsession, and like that's why I always use air quotes, but it's not really yeah, to be air yeah, quoted. Yeah. But I think um, the reality is like it is it is completely different. Like the way all you have to do is sit down with I don't know fifty or to a hundred sixteen seventeen year olds, and then fifty to a hundred twenty one twenty two year olds, and like the way they think, what they want from content the kind of content they are consuming is, is absolutely different. And I think that if you're a brand, inevitably you're going to, it's, it's kind of easier to, to define it with like a label. And you're yeah. inevitably going to want to kind of cater what, it, what content you're sponsoring or what content you're like aligning with so that you're aligning with your audience. Yeah. I think it's quite logical. Yeah. I mean, my, my point to that, I, I agree, in a, most, in a more ideal circumstance, you would, probably do cycle analytics or like psychographic analytics where it's more like a perspective or the way someone views life. But I, I do agree there's probably something a little bit cleaner about just like grouping people by age. Yeah, yeah I guess you could say it's exposure to certain platforms and technology is obviously basically the main consideration in that. Yeah. Did you have something you wanted to add, Tom? Uh, I was only going to go on to back to your previous point about sponsored or branded content and yeah. um, Copper 90... Uh, because we fit, appeal to all football fans, that ranges from like 15-year-olds to 40-year-olds. And I think it's good because we can see the, the different reaction to branded stuff. And I think Iona will agree with me in terms of her channel. Young people are so, second, are so accustomed to it. It's like second nature. They don't really care. And I'm not saying like we can get away with it, but I'm saying that when an athlete is sat there wearing a Call of Duty t-shirt, maybe people in the audience or me and others will think, oh God, that's clearly blatant. They're just branding themselves. This interview is a piece of branded content. Young kids, it's just like a way of life. It's like, oh yeah, I'm used to seeing every athlete, every uh, superstar I know and love wearing a brand so it doesn't feel like a big deal. And also in a more positive sense. Um, so we have a show with two presenters called Poet and Vooch, who are young guys who from North London, from Tottenham, and they uh, grew up and wanted to become presenters. And through both Copper 90 and their own means off their own backs, they sort of made it. And I think a lot of people see them as like the embodiment of being able to actually make it in the media world. They have a lot of brand affiliations. And I think for them, when when our audience see that, they're like, that's, they made it. Branded content or branded affiliation is like, you've actually hit the, the big time. And so it's actually seen as positive in some aspects. Do you guys think there's a certain responsibility from the publisher standpoint, knowing if you can continually optimize towards selling things to a certain demographic, are you gonna continue, like, how do you know there's a line to be drawn there? Or is there really a line that has yet to be found? So like maybe with, I want to start with Ari because I think maybe this is outside your traditional sort of realm of like, you know, is there a certain responsibility, an ethical responsibility selling to potentially a younger demographic? I'm not sure 100% understand, yes. but you, yeah. So like, uh, it's more along the lines of if you have the opportunity to sell to people who are so open to being sold to, yeah. where is the line drawn? Or is there no line to be drawn? I mean... You know, the way I feel about it personally as a publisher is that, you know, everyone's hustling and we're all part of a, like a socially mutually kind of exclusive contract. So we're all agreeing to it. Once we all hate ads, we'll, we'll block them. The ad blocker thing never really came in as, as much as people said it would. So we're all as kind of some kind of, you know, um, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, 
ag agreeing about what's acceptable and what's not. So as a publisher, um, I'm happy when I see you know a more youthful market reading you know parts of the mag as well as an older 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 uh, you know parts of the audience. I guess it's up to the you know the original publisher what constitutes as crossing a line or what doesn't. We'll always rest on our laurels and we'll always have morals about what constitutes as 52 insights. As Tom will have, you know, what steps outside the boundaries. You won't feel comfortable. And the same with the Iona. I mean, I can't speak for them. But, um, yeah. Do you guys have sort of a, a running dialogue in your head of what those parameters look like? I, yeah, maybe we start with you, Iona. Um, I think that yeah, there's a, there's a really, there's a fine line. I think transparency is is really important and I think that we're in or entering an age where transparency, especially when working with brands, is is like highly valued and, and actually expected of an audience. So I think that um, perhaps like, you know, perhaps before and, and like, you know, certainly with like big, I don't know, say Vice, stuff you see on Vice, you know, you could kind of get away with just having a logo at the beginning of whatever you were doing and, and that kind of being defining how you'd work with the brand. But I think um, younger audiences sort of expect much more transparency. I think that's, yeah, kind of, there's, there's it's a two-way relationship, I think. Yeah. Is that transparency, so when you're doing branded stuff, how does it look? Are you quite overt about it or are you quite subtle? Yeah, I think com like completely overt in the first whatever however many seconds in the title if needs to be there is like it is a it's working with a brand and and I think in the way that we work at Kyra it's it's collaborative with brands like I think there's a real respect from them in terms of what we're doing and what we're trying to do and and for for us staying true to that is really important and and so you know our audience up front know what we're doing it's not kind of like slapping a logo on or like at the end or in the middle it's it's um yeah bought bought to, I don't know, brought into being through the house. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's it. That's interesting. Like the, you're right, the collaborative nature of it is very similar for us as well in that we, we don't see it as being like you're buying space on our channel, we see it as we're collaborating. The, the, the issue or perhaps like the, the, the problem to solve off the back of that is because it is a collaborative nature and seen as a partnership, you do feel like you've got editorial responsibility to stay, keep that brand happy, not just across, say you do a film where it's like, okay, this is clearly an Adidas thing, we make it overt. On the next film, it's, it's almost like, okay, do you reset and go back to editorial um, integrity and okay, we're gonna slag off an Adidas athlete now? Or do you actually say, do you know what, it's that collaborative nature means that it's really hard to maintain a, a brand or client relationship where you, where you do um, act negatively towards their, their properties or their products. So yeah, I guess that's, that's the challenge for us really in making sure you get those relationships right. Do you ever wonder that if you continue along a very sort of vanilla path that at some point you might lose your audience because they never get the full meal deal, like they never get the reality of the situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm a strong believer that your, you know, your audience can't be defined by branded. You can't, you can't build an audience off of branded um, partnerships or branded content. Like, no, no one has ever done that. Um, and so, like, to build an audience, you have to have strong, like, a strong editorial vision, a strong editorial direction. Um, and if you kind of veer too far away from that, you will inevitably sort of... I think lose either either lose your audience or lose respect from your audience or loyalty from your audience. Yeah, exactly. Like opinion and subjectivity is what made us appealing in the first place. Two geezers from North London sat on a sofa chatting shit about football, saying whatever they want in whatever way they want was why people wanted to watch it. If they're then told like, oh yeah, you can't say this and you can't say this, you know, after a while it's going to be like, well, I might as well go watch match of the day where it's equally as dry. So yeah, I think it's. Is a, it's a dangerous line to tread and there is definitely a, a way you can get it right. It's just making sure that your existing relationships with those brands and those clients are set up in a way that you can uh, work in tandem. Do you think there needs to be a clear division between what is branded partnership work and what is editorial work? Do you need to kind of have a church and state element there or does your guys' product allow for that, the crossroads of those two and they can live together? I, pers I personally think operating like as a company with the kind of church and state attitude towards yeah kind of commercial and creative is is what sort of I think the outcome of, of that is this sort of like slapping a brand on the front or 
like a logo somewhere or product, you know, like I think it is quite unauthentic or untransparent. I think you need to have a kind of cohesive relationship between your commercial team and your creative team in order to get these kinds of collaborative, um, you know, whatever, whether it's series or individual episodes. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, like we're all building brands ourselves anyway. So like I have a brand, you have a brand, you brand. So, you know, engineering a brand itself is delivered on certain principles. And whether those principles can have an aligned discussion with another brand, it, it can work. But I would probably argue that, you know, <clears throat> maybe, I don't know, any major newspaper out there, the media industry is dying, everyone hears about it every day, you know, the clickages are going down. So you have a room and a, a space for younger channels, more independently mobile channels to kind of rise up and provide, you know, content for space. And so, you know, maybe some newspapers would jump at the chance for a brand to kind of buy their whole space. I mean, you hear about moguls buying out whole news newspapers and stuff, and some people irk about it, but in this day and age, they might um, be very receptive to that. So I really think it depends on like how you've built it, what your principles are, where you're looking to head for the future. If you're keen on not having any brand involvement at all, I think you're a little bit stupid. And I don't think that's where the future, you know, is inherently made up of. But, you know, that's just, that's just what I think. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple of things I was going to, in reference to that, we were talking earlier about broadly and how that's kind of that example of fully branded um, facilitating. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we were talking earlier about, um, yeah, entirely brand, sort of like from the beginning, brand sponsored um, channels. And, and I talked about broadly, um, which I'm sure most of you know is Vice's female, like Vice for girls, basically, Vice for women, smart women. Um, and it was entirely funded by, I think, Unilever or Procter and Gamble, I can't remember. But um, I think. You know, an example of, of a channel being launched from like zero, um, from you know being sponsored by a brand and, and quite successfully. I think there was a real, um, you know, built up by Vice's reputation already, but a real respect for the kind of journalistic integrity and what like a Vice channel looks like. And, and there was a lot of freedom to, to do really good journalistic reporting. And, and yeah, it's a good example. That's yeah, I think we didn't have that same approach so we started as a publisher without any branded involvement grew and then brought brands on board so I think uh, in reference to what you said about church and state I actually think that for us because football is very unique and it depends on the publisher if you've got three shows like it's it's different to say uh, I mean it's more work but like we have shows and then we also have a 24-7 newsroom across all platforms and as a result I think it is important to have church and state in that in that aspect otherwise it becomes unclear as to like oh the Man United have scored a goal and they're talking about Paul Pogba positively is that because Adidas sponsor them or is that because they actually think that I think having those buckets where it's like okay it's clearly this is now the piece of content by the brand for us makes a lot of sense otherwise it, it becomes a bit yeah problematic is that sorry is that particularly difficult because like so I don't know enough that much about football sponsorship yeah. but it's obviously like yeah, interwoven in so many different aspects of it is absolutely difficult to like untangle. It is really hard to untangle, especially like at the start when it was just okay, it's Adidas straightforward, but now it's Adidas, it's Pepsi, it's other brands. I mean, obviously, every brand that sponsors a major tournament, whether it's Heineken or Nissan or Rolando, whoever, like you start to get to a stage where you're very cautious of just making sure that um, they know the line of like, okay, this is the work we're doing for you on our channel, and this is us objectively editorially talking about the news and the football news and the, the agenda that's going on there. How do you like draw lines or how do you make it clear if you if it's important to make it clear? I think it's partly in the relationship and it's partly in our tone of voice. So I think generally actually this is something interesting. Recently we um, we had a bit of a debate around we were going to do a, make a joke about a football player who'd had a bad game of football and it was quite a personal laddie joke which isn't really our tone of voice anyway and I and I was talking to the brand team and I was like, look, we know that that plays on Adidas's books, that's gonna go down badly. And I had a bit of a debate and I was like, well, do you know what? Uh, in all honesty, like we shouldn't be doing that anyway. 
and that's not really who we are. And as a precaution, rather than make things personal and being so negative all the time, let's find another solution, which both kills two birds with one stone, one in um, making sure the brand relationship is intact and like we're not doing anything negative there, even though like they may not have an issue with it, it's just not worth the risk. Um, and then also just like as a, as a general, not in too lofty point about the media being negative, football media, particularly can be incredibly negative and as soon as someone has a bad game even if they're a 16 year old kid who like you can't really have a go at someone who's that age playing professional football um can go really negative on their back i think it was a it was a good chance for us to say like yeah we're going to be positive sorry i've got a massive yeah. tangent no, all good um Ari, I'm, I'm curious for you and how you're kind of setting up 52 insights to be sort of brand ready is there a sort of strategy that you had to adopt or change to make it more, more product driven, I guess, so that people can understand and get behind it. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it's you know, it's it's learning and, and education. I think that, <clears throat> as I said, like one of the earlier things I said is that I started with a canvas, so I didn't really understand the brand world so so much, so to speak. I still don't completely and fully understand it, and I'm not afraid to say that. I think people are, are often like, you know, I understand everything and what's going on, but sometimes it feels a little bit drowned out. So for me, I think it's been definitely an iteration process and an evolutionary process. What that means is that, you know, where the magazine started, I'm amazed, like all the people that we interview is absolutely uh, amazing, but that, that only gets you to a certain point. Then you want to start talking to brands how can you attract a brand and how can you monetize the content that you've made? And they've done it great, like Tom and, and, and Iona. And I'm not saying, you know, like I, I haven't, but I'm probably at a still stage still where I'm building up that model. What is attractive? What are the parts that we can unpack, that we can serve to brands? What are the sales points that we can, you know, sit down and talk about? Can we do events? Can we do, you know, um, a brand deal with, uh, you know, a sophisticated watch brand or whatever? I mean, there are millions of things, but it's about actually getting to that point where you're very clear about, you know, what we can serve up as, as a brand. And we're definitely much more defined now than we were three years ago when, when we started. So it, it's definitely an evolutionary process, yeah. Once you've sort of entered this space around, you know, of a sort of advertising-driven editorial approach, what do you think is the future? Or is it sort of like you've entered a state where they're really, it's kind of established what you can and cannot do versus like if you never take an advertisement-driven approach, you're always thinking. Like what is the future for you guys in terms of advertisements and editorial? Advertorial. Advertorial basically, yeah. Do you want to go first? I'll go first. Um, is, it, is it something that doesn't really cross your mind or is it like a, I'm, I'm just curious, like, is it a dumb question or is there something there that is uncertain in terms of um, the future? I think from our point of view, things keep chugging along the way they currently are. People, like we say, are used to branded content. Branded content can exist online in the way it does. There's restrictions on different platforms and I think responsibility on YouTube is something that's been discussed for you know nearly half a decade now and there are rules and protocols in place that make sure you are clearly advertising or marketing to, to audiences. Unless that changes and the platforms themselves clamp down, which is obviously an option, we're all at the mercy of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, unless something changes there, I think we'll probably our future is to go in a similar direction but keep strengthening those relationships so that instead of it just being okay Pepsi are going to give you access to this football player for 15 minutes and bish bash bosh there's your sort of really brand friendly interview it's like let's build a relationship and they're going to give you half an hour and you can have more time and it's actually more of the whole sort of you know idealistic facilitating a better piece of content and have you kind of had to have that discussion which is currently being had in the public are the social media platforms a media company or are they um Oh, ad companies. I can't remember what how they've mm. described it. But what is your take on social media platforms? Are they? Do you use them as a media company? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think they're 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 both um, impressive and and overwhelming and scary at the same time. Mm. Uh, the power with that Facebook wields is genuinely terrifying. Whether it's from a marketing directly into our brains to influencing our political decisions is scary at times but um, I think all we can do is like act 
with as much responsibility as possible on those platforms and and like like you asked earlier do we know where the line is when we're marketing yeah. to people we do we're not going to be like going by these boots right now yeah. I think influencers sitting in their bedroom who are probably far more popular than yeah. us on YouTube because of the way YouTube works yeah. they will be more over and they've been sort of had their hands they've had they've yeah. been told off and yeah. yeah go on no it's just interesting because you know influencers isn't something like we've primarily talked about tonight but sometimes I'm invited to events quite often for brands and they'll ask me to cover it editorial so we do a lot of advertorial it's not necessarily paid but it's advertorial and sometimes I'm surrounded by a younger demographic and they're on their phones and like I literally have no idea what's going on you know they're, they're like on their phones and like doing all this stuff and it's like you know what 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 is that so it's a whole it is a new discussion as well like yeah. Yeah. do you guys ever worry that since you're since there's an increasing amount of interest in the branded partnership space that knowing that you don't own necessarily all of your audience on these social media platforms that it might actually be another challenge down the line if obviously the algorithm changes and you know as facebook starts to incentivize or not incentivize but to promote your grandma's cat photo i don't know you know something along those lines i mean yeah i think it just comes back to kind of audience loyalty and and it's goes back to that fine line of like building a strong relationship with your audience and that not only being through content but how do you build that if you don't own like if it's on a youtube or it's on a facebook or an instagram like how do you build a more direct relationship with them i i think you know that's why um you know i think especially at Cairo, we think about our shows as kind of franchises and that means as well as them sitting on youtube there are events and there's merchandise and it's a kind of like we try to have as much a kind of direct relationship with our audience as possible in order to build something that doesn't feel like it just sits on this platform, which, yeah, feels quite flimsy. Do you guys feel that there's value, like there's actual value in content or does value only really come once you've slapped on an opportunity to sell something? Like content itself, seeing as it's so easy to create, like, like as I mentioned at dinner, we're kind of at the race to the bottom and you, you had kind of a strong opinion of that. I really think it depends what type of content you're talking about. I mean, I personally don't classify 90% of when it's out there as content. I just find it as crap, like, to, to be totally honest. But that's my thing. Like, I don't define it as content. I think we really have to draw the line as what is content. I think what I'm creating is content. It's genuine. It will, it will live a long time. But, you know, everyone's got their idea of, like, content becomes very ephemeral. So, you know, one day it's good and one day, does that constitute as content? You know, not to me, but, yeah. You know. I mean, you guys both obviously don't, you guys take a much more deliberate approach to the content you create as well. So does that maybe shelter you guys from this conversation in that there is still room for high-quality content that's produced that takes time and effort versus the kind of frictionless stuff of me, you know, putting something on my Instagram stories or Snapchat? Yeah, I think, well, we try and do a bit of everything. We will spend three weeks on a highly produced documentary and it will look great, and we'll, or we will spend 30 seconds on Snapchat messing around with whatever. And um, I think that just reflects the, the, the range of football fans and the fact that some football fans are 16 and use Instagram stories or, or use Snapchat all the time, and uh, that's how they consume stuff. I don't know, I think, it, I think for me, I, I actually really like it because I'm somewhere in, in the middle demographically. I really enjoy the highly produced stuff I also really enjoy the just completely nonsensical ephemeral stuff that's just really tongue-in-cheek because at the end of the day, the reason why we exist to a young audience is we are that breath of fresh air in a really stuffy media landscape. At the moment, there are so many media companies and people creating content on a daily basis. Like, it's, it's insane. And, and when you get cut through, it's when you are a bit more irreverent or you sidestep the hype and everyone's like, oh, hold on, these guys, they aren't just churning out stuff. Like, they actually have, whether it's personal, like, because you'll know like personality is exactly why people buy into that sort of thing or whether it's the nature of the content itself because it's a little bit more rough already or whatever that people people like it too. For you guys, as you start to, I guess, become more mature and experienced in the industry, how do you maintain a sort of clarity as to what your product is? So this is not really brand related, just like how do you know that like what you're creating for Kyra now, like does it have an opportunity to change and become more mature as you as you become more experienced yeah and i suppose as your as your audience change as well it kind of if you um like it's super important to listen to your audience and i think i guess one of the the real benefits of 
like if you publish on YouTube, um, is that you have a complete, I mean, it's, it's a, like a blessing and a curse that like, you have complete access to like how popular your content is and like people will be very vocal about how they feel about it. And simultaneously, like there's a pressure to, like you described it as a race to the bottom earlier, like there's a, there's a pressure to completely listen to like populist opinion on YouTube and, and that can lead you down a whatever, slippery slope to the bottom. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, that, that race to the bottom is funny, like it's, um, it is true that you look at some of our competitors and this, and I'm not dragging through the mud or anything, but like you can, you can see the, the thought process of like, okay, there's the bottom, there's how to get to it, um, whether it's on Snapchat Discover and the way that publishers just horrendously clickbait or soft porn their audience into their stories or whether it's on YouTube with like over the top shocking headlines and thumbnails and that sort of thing. And I think the challenge for us is, is the line in between where we have the responsibility of being like, all right, we're not going to lure people in with some really awful image and a ridiculous headline. Do you think that they're doing damage to their brands that they can't they can climb back from? Do you know what? I don't even think they are. I think having looked at some of the people yeah, that, that do it, they... That I think it's interesting because the, the general shelf life or the general sentiment around negative press seems to be significantly shorter. So yeah. what's their ability to bounce back? And, and also I think it's like, hey... Their audience doesn't even like in the same way that branded content is just part of people's lives. Like this race to the bottom is part of people's lives. Kids that are growing up with Snapchat, they're like, oh yeah, there's a there's a tab where there's Daily Mail showing me soft porn and making me watch it. That's just how news works. And same way on YouTube, we're up against thumbnails where there's like a really shocking image in it and a headline, and the audience don't think the same way we do. They just go, oh cool, yeah. Let's click on that. And the brand they're watching it from, they're not like, oh yeah, they're awful media publishers. They just go, oh yeah, cool, the content's fine, it's just part of part of life. Yeah, I agree. And I, but I do also think that, like, if you if you kind of, like, stay true to whether it's, like, a journalistic or an aesthetic or a stylistic or all of the above um, approach to the content you make, like, it's sort of a long-term gain. I think that it means that you're not sort of sitting in, in, among, in amongst everyone at the bottom. And, and I think that the, the, the brands who want to work with you do have a lot of respect for you and do come to you because you're not, like... You're not doing that. What you're doing has like a stamp. It has an identity, and, and that's like worth something. All right, for you as you start to build sort of this branded partnership opportunity or route, what have been your biggest challenges as a smaller publisher? Oh, you name it, like A to Z. I mean, uh, I think the biggest um, obstacle or the biggest barrier to creating a brand-ready media title. Um, it's a bit chicken and egg, you know? So they want to see that you have a defined audience at a certain level and they won't go there until you do. And then they also, maybe let me start again. That, that didn't really sum up exactly what I was saying. <laughs> there are just so many obstacles, yeah. it is crazy. But in terms of like the biggest obstacle, I think it's just about, the, it really is the chicken and egg. So you need to build your business in order for it to be ready for a brand. But there are so many things that need to come first and last in order for a brand to want to speak to Have you. Have brands ever been like, I want more of this from you. I need a larger audience, I need something. No, because as I said, like we really, our you know, number of conversations with brands has been extremely limited. And um, you know, we've been trying to kind of put our first foot forward and show that we are an incredibly reputable media brand and that they should be working with us on certain aspects. But I think some brands in this day and age, in this ecosystem environment, are taking the bite of some cherries, and we hope that as long as we do what we do, um, they'll take a bite out of our cherries eventually in a certain way. But I think it's just, that's why I was talking about the type of crap that's out there and how ephemeral it is, because I think 10 years from now, a lot of the media channels that are around today, and this has got nothing, this doesn't reflect to you at all, I mean that, um, won't be around because it's so easy to build an audience and a title reflecting the way that we live right now. But will it serve to reflect how an audience is in a year, five years or ten years? So, you know, I hope that we can build something that's very strong. But yeah, the biggest obstacle has been, yeah, just, you know, getting to that table with the brand, getting, having that discussion so that we can show like that we're ready to do business, I think, yeah. And what about for you, Iona? You guys are about a year in, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, with yeah, Power sorry. TV. What, what's been your challenge, like, as you kind of approach that intersection between brand and editorial and having your unique voice preserved? Yeah, I think, um, sort of, as I've been saying, um, it's a fine line. And I think there's, like, for us, it's it's super, super important that, we're, that we maintain and uphold this, like, aesthetic value that is important to us and an editorial integrity that's important to us. And I think, you know, we feel like we've crafted um, something really unique and original in all of our um, shows. And, like, staying true to that and, and kind of building on, on those foundations is really important. And, and working with brands has to sort of... Um, you know, build upon that and not hinder anything we're doing. Does that, yeah. Yeah. And you, Tom? Um, yeah, no, echoing those sentiments completely. I think, um, yeah, I think our branded content is pretty locked how, how we do things. It's been a few years now and we know exactly what we're doing when it comes to, to that space. Do you guys feel that amidst all this where, you know, as money comes to the table and you guys are crafting like these perfect videos or whatnot, there's a pushback against that, where people want something a little bit more real. Well, the brand wants something more real. Just the, the, people, the, the consumer, also. yeah. Like the person yeah. watching or following. Yeah, and I they don't so. want something that's just polished. Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's where the, the analogy you used earlier of the church and state comes into play, because whichever one of those is the more broad version, is where, you know, we, we ring-fence that and we say, all right, we're going to make a film about football derbies in Spain and realistically it's going to involve violence and it's going to involve things which brand aren't going to go near okay yeah San Miguel you want to come sponsor this no because there's talk about beating the shit out of each other unfortunately that's what the audience want to see so let's ring fence that and make sure that the branded content sits alongside that but you know we have that authenticity in a, in a certain way do you have a particular like dream activation that you don't want to pursue Ari? Yeah, we'd love to do video. We get asked to do all types of things all the time. Because of the people we get access to, they're like, oh, why don't you do podcasts? And why don't you do video? And why don't you put out a book? And it's all like, it's all money. It's just like, so, uh, you know, I'm just building on what I've, like these guys have been great in terms of building relationships with brands. But I actually feel if there's anyone out there in the audience here that has an independent media brand, I think there is a big space for an agency to act as an intermediary between brand and publisher which I've never heard of. So an agency that helps define and bring your product to the brands to have that conversation. Because not every independent publisher will have all the contacts and the networks in order to kind of sell their wares to a brand. So I think it would be great to have an agency that kind of, you know, defines and crafts your brand and brings it to the table of a brand in order to, to sell. But yeah, I would like to do all the, all the above. It would be great. What about you, Iona? Um, yeah, I think that ultimately um, what brands bring are, are money and an opportunity to tell the stories that you can't do on the budgets you're working with when you're doing editorial work and editorial um, video content. And so I guess a, a kind of personal, yeah, a personal thing is, is to be able to tell stories that are like more difficult to get access to. And, you know, ultimately... That's what it all comes down to. We're all trying to tell stories in whatever form or to whatever audience and, and brands sort of facilitate the ones that are like fundamentally far more difficult to tell. I think I only sit the nail on the head there to be honest, but I mean, not too much more to add. Dream scenario, brands pay for you to go to the Russia World Cup and tell the story you want to tell and they facilitate that. Do you guys feel that brands in general have exercised a bit more awareness? So things that might have been off off the table a few years ago, like whether it's race, whether it's sexuality, now it becomes something that's open for discussion. Yeah, I mean, I have quite like strong opinions on this subject, which I voiced earlier, which is, I don't know, as a woman, sorry, but I do feel like a lot of um, kind of brands jumping on bandwagons or on kind of like what is feminist relevant what would be an example not necessarily naming names just like an example okay and I think kind of a good example is um, like a lot of the women's marches that kind of came about last year I think there was I feel like generally there's quite a like strong sentiment at, at the moment with anything that's like female focused to be quite politicised in a very very like for me diluted way and I feel like it's like maybe 
just saying guys in their 30s at agencies being like, that's relevant to um, young women. And, and we end up with like, brand-sponsored content that feels like an appropriation of something that was relevant maybe six months or a year ago. Um, yeah, that's like a bit personal, right? How would you try to change that? Or do you think it's starting to change anyways? I mean, obviously, the more women that are in positions of power or decision makers will obviously change that. I think that like, it's, it's probably no surprise that a lot of those campaigns that feel quite ineffective are probably not by like the audience themselves. Um, I think, you know, story, stories or, or like opinions are best voiced by those who like have them or they are like, are they effects? Yeah. So like, if you're trying to, if you're trying to talk to women, probably get women to tell their stories. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point because like there's two things, there's adverts and there's branded content. And I one in the spectrum, you got like Pepsi last year doing stuff they did which obviously was a massive scandal and you can imagine how much of a pain that was us for us that day in the office with Pepsi one of our clients and um, obviously nothing to do with that of course um, but um, and on the other end you got branded content and I think from our point of view that's that's a really good point like brands want to jump on these bandwagons that are, that are you know sometimes if it's in a pure advert it can do good for the world because they use their money but like for us I think that's a that's a line we wouldn't cross it's like all right okay we, we've done work on mental health before, but we'll do it directly with the charity. Or we'll do, if you want to do something on um, whatever cause it is, the brand involvement needs to be, it can't just be a branded content point of view. It needs to be actually contributing to what's going on. If, you, if you're, say, I don't know, to an example, big exports brand and you want to do a piece on um, whatever cause is going on at the moment, um, Rather than just be like a really superficial piece of content which does their job of looking like they're giving a shit, it'll be like, no, okay, let's look at how you can give a shit. Is your money going to go and actually influence in a, in a proper way? Otherwise, we're not interested. That would be my, my point of view when it came to those things. And just to kind of cap things off before we open the, the floor up for Q&A questions, what, is there anything in particular that you would want to change about the current sort of dynamic between a publisher and the advertising space and do you feel that you have the story opportunity to tell like the opportunity to tell the story you want to tell already um john okay um ah it's a really tough question i think you know there are some brands who are kind of real early adopters and can see what you know especially kyra's you know a year old and we're super young um in this like grand scheme of things and there are yeah brands who are real early adopters and see what you're doing and believe in that and and that's like an amazing amazing feeling you i guess you want to see more of that um yeah yeah i think so like we've got some brands that are very forward thinking on that front the main thing i want to see is like people say okay i appreciate what this is it's a piece of branded content i've got shitload of other campaigns going on which are going to put my can of drink in people's faces don't need to do that with this i'm going to build brand affinity or achieve another objective and not have to you know you, you know what it's like people client side have so many pressure on them so much pressure on them to say all right get the product here do this say this and i think my ideal situation is people that take take a deep breath and go like, okay cool this is branded content it achieves a thing of, of doing this with an audience but it doesn't need to be um, so with it. Do you think as your brand increases in scale, you have the ability to push back against anyone that's trying to influence what you believe to be the right thing, even if there's money on the table? Yeah, I mean, like obviously, bit as as you hear how you speak, like money being on the table is a big factor, and often it's not my decision. But um, I think I think that the balance is making sure that you aren't um, selling out for, for just for the sake of it, and that's that's how, that's easier said than done, of course. But um, yeah, I think so. I mean, not really, because, you know, as, as again, like, you know, like repeating myself, we don't, we've worked with brands in an advertorial way, but we haven't really done necessarily that many branded projects, but we'd love to do more. Um, I think there just, like, needs to be more support in the industry, because they think as you're starting a media brand, then all of a sudden you know exactly what you're doing and you understand how to do it. But I really think there needs to be more support, especially in this day and age when... For independent publishers. Absolutely. And I think that it's even harder because the trust level in media has gone down so much. I think for independent like you know, channels, I think it's important, especially if you have a you know, good product. Yeah. And I guess to cap, cap it off, in terms of that, that thing about trust, how do you, do you guys feel it's a quite a simple, straightforward task of 
like a very binary choice. Either you are someone that you can trust or you cannot trust in terms of that. Or think, or do you feel as though like the minute you start kind of sliding down that path and you have that very small inkling of clickbait, that's when things start to fall, like the wheels start to fall off, so to say. I'll jump in. Um, yeah, yeah I, think, I think you could, as I was saying earlier, you, you, ideally you build up that level of trust where people respect your brand enough that if you do something a little bit race to the bottomy, that people will be like, okay, cool, we know what you're doing here, but we still appreciate you for you are. Cool. Does have anything else to add? No? Good? Yeah. Maybe we can open up the floor to some questions. Does anyone have any questions for our panelists? Yeah, Clive. Have you ever said uh, no to a brand partnership? Or if you are in a brand partnership, have you ever said, had to say no to a brand if an idea they have? Just so people in the back can hear, the question is, have you guys ever had to say no to a brand partner? And maybe under what context did you say no? Please name names. <laughs> Uh, where are you from? Um, no, I, uh, I, I think, in, in, to be candid with you, I think we never say no to begin with because we want to understand what the opportunity is. We're not going to be like, oh, God, that's an evil brand that everyone hates. No, straight away, we'll work out, okay, exactly what are, what are their objectives. But I think a lot of the time, later down the line, it's clear, like, this is going to either sit too, too negatively with football fans. If football fans are going to see you working with a certain person in, in the way they want to work, then yeah, there are times where we'll be like, no, I just, I just think that's gonna, it's not gonna, the amount of money that you pay us is gonna alienate too much of our audience and have a, a, a you know, a financial um, negative later down the line. Yeah, I think to kind of, yeah, second that, I think often it's yes, and then when it makes no sense because you're either no longer being kind of true to what your, like, what your product is and they have too many, like prerequisites for what they want, like the relationship can kind of fall apart. But I don't think there's ever like a no from the off if there's a kind of desire to work together from them, from a brand. Because like, for example, we were approached years ago during the Euros by Turkish Airlines, which on the face of it, we were like, okay, what well, the game got any relevance with football? Our audience don't care about them. Why should we do anything? But then they were like, you know, we're going to facilitate um, a piece of content. What do you want to make? And we're like, well, actually, a piece of content where we fly around to several other countries competing in the Euros just before the tournament starts and understanding their culture from a football perspective and other perspectives. Obviously, airlines, that makes a lot of sense traveling, but like, for us, actually, yeah, that's interesting and that has got appeal to our audience and maybe we shouldn't immediately go, okay, yeah, this isn't as seamless and, and smooth as Adidas, but it's, it's still got appeal. Do you think it's a testament to your guys' creative ability to make brands that might not seem to work, work? Yeah, definitely. I think, if, I think Copper Night is actually pretty, pretty good in that, having worked in traditional advertising and social media before. I think if we had some of the craves that we had back in, in those industries, it'd be a lot, it'd be a lot more shoehorned. Whereas we're quite natural with the way we do things and it's like, all right, yeah, Turkish Airlines want to do this, let's push back because we know that this is a far more authentic way of telling it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's mostly for Copper 90. Um, I know, like, I'm quite interested in how your channel works and um, specifically, like, you've, you mentioned Poet and Vooj and they mm -hmm. do FIFA and Chill. So they're playing FIFA with, mm -hmm. like, Pogba or whoever it is. Yeah. And that does really well. And those seem to be the guys that get the most, um, like, branded stuff around them. Like, they, it was Vooj that did the interview with, like, Stormzy and Beckham and everything. Yeah. For the kit launch, was it Manchester United? Yeah. Right, okay. And then you've got Ellie, who does, um, he does the stuff like the Derby Days, and he'll go and do, like, much more kind of, like, he'll do um, fan-focused stuff, and it gets a bit more into, like, politics and news and things like that. So I was wondering, do you kind of use the money that you get from, like, the Vooj and Poet stuff, which, you know, they're kind of influencers in their own right. They have, like, followings of, like, over 100,000 people, like Twitter or Instagram, to kind of fund the stuff that you want to do, which is kind of in line with your project as, like, a, I don't know, like... <coughs> removing yourself from the kind of lad culture and having this different space that's a bit more serious. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so... Uh, really for the sake of the audience to, to, to... Sorry to reduce that, but like, is it essentially are we using branded money to fund the editorial we want to create? In specific answer to your question, though, I think, yeah, the Poem Vuj stuff, um, in all honesty, like, there isn't too much brand involvement with what they do. Um, for whatever reason, they're quite outspoken people and it's quite hard to say to a brand, these guys are going to say whatever they want. They like from the nature of the personalities, if you say, oh, you can't say this, this or this, they're like, that's not how we operate. And it's like, okay, well, 
the brand aren't going to evolve. Adidas did set up the Beckham and Stormzy thing. That's a, that's a sort of example of when it can work. Um, and Ellie has done stuff like the Turkish Airlines thing before with him as well. Um, it, I'd say it does work in that sense that the branded stuff fuels the editorial that can't be sponsored. Ellie's political, more fan-focused things that could never be sponsored. So that need, the money needs to come from somewhere, but it's not necessarily the point of view stuff. FIFA and Chill isn't sponsored. You know, we've had people um, interested, but that it's not sponsored as it stands. It comes from other areas of the business where it's normally branded content, not featuring those presenters specifically that then fuels the other stuff. Does anyone else have any other questions? Yeah, in the back. Um, do you actively try to identify who your audience is, or do you kind of go with the approach of as long as you're creating content that you find authentic and true, it doesn't matter who it's really being disseminated to? So the question is, do you just create what you want to create and let them come to you, or do you tailor content towards your audience? Maybe you can start with that, Ari. Yeah, it's definitely a threat. It's a good question because originally when I started out, I was just like, oh, I want to do what I want to do, and I just enjoy it. Um, and that's how anyone should do it as a publisher. But, you know, eventually things develop and you're building a business out of it. So you've got to set, you know, parameters. And I now have a thread. So, yes, I will feel a little bit uncomfortable. We get pitches all the time from people about, can we feature this and feature this? I'm like, no, we don't feel certainly comfortable with that. Um, so I do definitely put it within the 52 Insights parameter and I, and I continue to do that. And it's evolved to a point where you know, it just kind of rolls and the content kind of enjoys itself, if that makes sense. Would you ever widen your parameters if that meant sort of greater accessibility to brand partnerships? I see this as the key running theme tonight. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, the principles are pretty locked in, you'd say. Not at all, no. No, they're the other way. Other way around, okay. Yeah. Look, um, you know, to be totally honest with you, when I started the magazine, I was like, oh, we'll get all these names and then the brands and the audience will come. It would just be super easy. That's originally, I was so like fucking naive. It's ridiculous. Um, for, like, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can. So, you know, a year and a half into the three years, I was like, well, that's not really happening. Now I'm going to have to change things up and I'm going to have to kind of reiterate, you know, what's my selling point? Because for these guys, They've built a module or a, or a brand where brands come and say, hey, can we do this with your audience? Because you have a key theme that they want to exploit, which is fine. I'm kind of the same, but perhaps in a, I don't know, a bit more of a niche market, I don't know. So now I have to kind of sell a different aspect. But no, I wouldn't be opposed at all to having a conversation with a brand like Thompson, exploring the opportunity first. I mean, if it's McDonald's wants to buy my site, I'd probably exit and they can buy it. <laughs> To be honest, yeah. <laughs> they can have it. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but you know what I mean. Just, yeah, just to add with that point, it's a really interesting question. I think that, like, like as a creator or a storyteller or whatever you call yourself, I think it's always going to be super important that there's like passion from you about what you're creating, and that's how you'll end up making the best content or telling the best stories and, like, you know, doing audience analysis and being like, oh, these are the touch points probably isn't going to end up making the best content or you're not going to end up making your best work so but like yeah there's probably elements of awareness that are that are intrinsically important if you want to create something that's sustainable financially yeah i agree you want to tell the story you want to tell regards who it's to there are times that you want to like kind of optimize and be like all right well got a really interesting story about um these ultras in a chinese football team that you've never heard of and I can tell it in the way that I will, I will find appealing, or I can tell it in a way that an 18-year-old kid will find appealing, and actually that's gonna have far more reach and be far more interesting. So I'd say the story comes first, and sometimes you'll tailor it to the audience, and other times you'll just do what you wanna do. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, which media formats do you think have the most authenticity, uh, whether actual authenticity or perceived? authenticity? Is it something with a short shelf life, like a piece of content that disappears on social, or is it something more tangible, for example, in print? Good question. So the question is, which medium lends itself to the most authentic sort of format? Is it print, video, podcast, etc.? Depends which audience, really. You know, different audiences consume different things. Yeah, and I'd say that in each of those like verticals, um, you've got examples on both sides that you could say are like 
slightly less authentic or very, very authentic. I think there are plenty of examples of both, like, you know, media, print media that we'd say is, like, really, really not authentic and a race to the bottom next to, like, very, very old-school authentic journalism. It's the same in, in each of those. I think it's pretty hard to say, define, define it by, like, its medium. Yeah, you have to find those those nuggets, I guess. There's people like us that do actively strive, maybe because of the people that work there and being these creator stroke storytellers, like Iona says, and they'll exist in traditional papers as well. There's journalists that you meet that, you know, have the pressures of the people above saying, write this or write that, and they're like, oh, fuck's sake, I've got to write an article on this just to get hits. But as long as the individuals are there that are like, actually, do you know what, once in a while I'm going to go off and make this niche story that I think people care about, um, I think you can't really single out one media for being more authentic. It's just finding the ones within each media that, that do it better than others. If I could add my two cents, I personally think podcasts are the most authentic because there's less, and obviously Bacon is very audio-driven, but to that point, I think what's great about podcasts is that you can just let, let the tape run and you don't have the same sort of limitation of video where you have to have beautiful B-roll to kind of be in tandem with that. So that to me is like listening to people like, easy to have like a like a 60 minute conversation with someone where it's very difficult to cut out select parts because at the end of the day it's just a conversation. Um, we have time for one more question if anyone wants to ask it. I think that's everyone. Uh, before we cap things off, maybe you guys can let everyone know how they can get in touch with you. Let's start at the end, Tom. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, come up to me afterwards if you want to get in touch with me and I'll... Um yeah. Or do you have like a Twitter or anyone, anything? Yeah, well, my, Twitter, my Twitter is Tom Brandy if you want to follow me. Uh, get, get me up to that coveted six, 600 followers that I've been aiming for for a while. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Twitter, uh, Instagram, or come talk to me afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, website yeah. yeah, Definitely check out 52 Insights. I'm a big fan of it. Um, I'm glad I can make it. And once you're in Iona, Tom, thank you very much for you guys' time. Soho House, you guys were awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity to come all the way from Hong Kong and do this. Tom, maybe you can stand up, you know, give a little bow. This is all you, bro. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Have a good night.